Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. This is Denise Brown, your host of Your Caregiving Journey, a talk show that helps you as you help family members and friends. It's Tuesday, October 31st. Happy Halloween. It's 2 p.m. Central Time, and we're live out of Chicago. Just a couple quick updates before we have our guest join us. I'm very excited about our guest. He's going to talk about a new initiative to help family caregivers which is global, it's international, trying to really touch family caregivers regardless of where they live. A couple quick updates for you. Just a reminder, our six-word story for this week is what's scary about caregiving. So when you get a chance, stop by caregiving.com, look for our six-word stories, and then add your six-word story about what's scary during and after caregiving. You know, your six-word stories are just absolute art. Your prose about caregiving is always so inspiring for me. So I so appreciate the time that you take to write those six-word stories and share them with you. We've been doing six-word stories for, you know, I'm going to throw out a, a number, I think probably about five years. So you can read all the six-word stories that we have created over the years just by flipping through caregiving.com and our six-word story section. They're all just fantastic. So thanks to you for sharing them, and please stop by and let us know what's scary about caregiving. Okay, so two quick updates about our conference. Our National Caregiving Conference is November 10th and 11th. It's next week. You can join us in Chicago or virtually. We are broadcasting one of our tracks, on Friday. It's our practical track, which really gives you a really great combination of different sessions. So we talk about the emotional impact of caregiving with a session around depression. We talk about caregiving 101. We have a presenter who talks about living in an RV with her husband, her caree, since his stroke. So we really have the gamut pivots around caregiving on Friday. And then on Saturday, it's our general sessions, including our keynote, and then Tipa Snow's two-hour workshop. We also broadcast our fashion show. That was a fan favorite last year, so you'll want to enjoy that. And then we close out with some panel discussions around loneliness and advocacy. So if you want to join us virtually, you can register. If you want to join us to in Chicago in person, you can register online for that as well. Just a reminder, our contest around our registration ends November 2nd. So if you register for our conference before or on November 2nd, you're entered into a contest to win some prizes, including cash. And then today is the last day to enter our NCC 17 Rocks contest. And so this is really a contest that honors Lily, one of our members of caregiving.com, and her mom. So as Lily's mom was dying, Lily spent hours painting art on rocks. It was really how she coped. And it just became something so important to her, and she would share the rocks on pictures on caregiving.com. And then it became NCC 17 rocks, and then, of course, it has to be a contest. So... Today is the last day to enter a photo of the rock that you create for a chance to win a virtual registration to the conference. 
and I peeked at the entries, and they are all awesome. That's what's nice about running the contest. I get to look behind the scenes <laughs> and see what it looks like. So I'll post the rocks tomorrow, and we'll start voting, and then we'll vote on our favorite, and the favorite wins a registration for the virtual conference. Okay, those are the updates. If you need any more details, just go to caregiving.com because it's all there. Okay, so joining me this afternoon is Scott Williams. He's Vice President, Head of Global Patient Advocacy and Strategic Partnerships at EMD Serrano. And he's here to talk to us about a new initiative that the company has started called Embracing Carers. So, Scott, thanks so much for joining us today. Denise, thank you so much for having me. Really a pleasure to be with you. So I saw the press release come through for your initiative, and I thought, oh, okay. And what caught my eye is that it's international. It's not just about family caregivers that live in North America. It's family caregivers that live anywhere. Tell us how the idea came about. What inspired the initiative? Well, that, that's an absolutely great question. So really, you know, the, the inspiration for embracing carers really is, is something that was generated and, not, and also embedded within the DNA and the culture of, of our company at EMD Serono. Uh, we're a little bit unique in that we're a family-owned company, and we have just a, a really uh, wonderful heritage that spans back about 350 years uh, with, you know, original family members who founded the company years and years ago uh, who are still with us many generations later. Um, leading the company, and really that that company heritage and history is really founding in caring and in generations of family members who are committed to finding healthcare solutions, you know, for patients and, and caregivers and families around the world. So this this really came from uh, that spirit and that that heart of what makes us different as a company, uh, and we're uh, really a global uh, organization. We have. Uh, employees and representatives in about 70 countries around the world, and we really wanted to find a way to make a unique contribution to society uh, and really, you know, go above and beyond in finding ways that we can contribute uh, to the, the needs of, of patients and, and caregivers. And Embracing Cares was really born out of that spirit, and we've really launched this as a, a global movement that recognizes the pivotal role of, of caregivers uh, in the healthcare ecosystem specifically. And what I'm so proud about is that, you know, th this wasn't just an effort by one company in isolation. It's really a collaborative effort with caregiver organizations and care groups uh, from around the world. And we're really proud that we have uh, global advisors from eight of the leading uh, caregiver and care organizations from around the world who have really helped us to guide this effort and really shape it in a way that it'd be really meaningful uh, to caregivers, not only in the U.S., but as you said, around the world. So what do you think is the most important issue that family caregivers face today that you would like to either minimize in terms of it being too much or maximize in terms of it's just too little? What do they have too much of or what do they have too little of? You know, I think my response would probably be embedded in, in some of the, the findings that, that we found in a, a survey that ultimately led to the development um, of a white paper that now sits on our, our website on uh, embracingcares.com. 
And, and I think what it is, Denise, is, is really um, the fact that the caregivers that, that we survey and that we've spoken with and even from the care organizations pointed out time and time again that, you know, nearly half of the unpaid caregivers don't have the time uh, to really book or attend medical appointments for themselves. And, and really uh, the realization that many caregivers are in need of care themselves and that often that they're, they're so focused on the responsibility of caring for others that they have little time or, or thought for themselves really has been a, a theme and an issue that we've heard time and time again that I think for family caregivers is, is one that we're uniquely uh, in tune to. Uh, and I, I think the other one is just that uh, we've, we've learned, you know, through, through this effort that um, we really need to um, engage additional stakeholders uh, in this effort to raise awareness of these issues and that you know, we, we've, we've found that uh, there's partners in the uh, disability community or in the, the women's health community or um, other communities that are focusing on chronic conditions where by working together and by uh, highlighting or increasing policy attention uh, to drive action or even looking at innovative opportunities where we can better integrate the, the caregiver voice into healthcare systems, uh, we really felt like embracing carers could make a contribution in this space and that these were all, you know, needs and issues that uh, family caregivers uh, told us through the survey effort were very important to them. Yeah, it's interesting. When I was reading the survey results that you included in your press release announcing embracing cares, it really spoke to me. And one of the things that I've been doing for the past few years is tracking family caregiver stress. So visitors and members of caregiving.com can take a really simple stress survey. What they do is they rate their stress from one to five, five being the most stressed. And then they say, this is the source of my stress. And there's a list of maybe 15 different options. And they can choose as many as they want. So since I've been doing the survey, the number stays the same. It's 4.16, which means that to me, it's constant, right? It doesn't go up and down. It's always been, since I started it, 4.16. I find that fascinating. And the top answer has remained, I miss my life. Mm. And it goes to what you were just talking about, which is we don't have time to feel like we can be engaged in our life. And we don't have the energy for it either. We feel like, oh, my gosh, so much goes into caregiving. It feels like there's little left for us. And I think that the healthcare system could really help us with the stress. And it's sometimes frustrating that the healthcare system can add to our stress. So when you think about adding our voice into the healthcare system, what does that look like to you? Yeah. You know, I I must say it's it's one of those areas where I, I'm right there with you in that I feel like the 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 stress and the strain um, is is a constant. And when when we've tried to engage with several of the, the healthcare systems, you know, in collaboration with uh, many of the care organization partners that have joined us in embracing cares, uh, you know, I, I think we see pockets of activity with healthcare systems where you know specific providers are um, being inclusive of the caregiver as a voice in uh, the healthcare visit or interaction, or, you know, you see certain systems who um, have, you know, recognized and called out and have dedicated resources or support infrastructure uh, for caregivers and carers uh, within 
uh, their their overall uh, systems. So we're, I, I think, frankly, through this movement, you know, we're, we're looking for best practices. We're looking for uh, potential pilot opportunities. You know, we're, we're thinking of ways of how we can really highlight uh, some things that are working and maybe some things where we can improve. Uh, really, at, the, at this stage, we're, we're identifying a lot of those unmet needs, uh, and we, we see uh, innovative opportunities to collaborate. And frankly, Denise, I think, you know, it's, it's working with voices like, like you and the caregiver organizations where we can really take on some of these challenges together uh, and where the stakeholder engagement aspect is going to be so critical because I think what we found is that um, some of the healthcare systems have uh, said, uh, you know, this is an issue that they want to take on, but they haven't really um, known how to do it. So by working together, yeah. you know, we're, we're kind of hopeful that there's, there's a chance that we can make a difference in this space. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I think the will is there, right, the desire. And certainly it's a desire from all angles. If you look at the bottom line, it helps the bottom line of a healthcare system when they support and engage family caregivers. And certainly it helps the quality of care that's delivered for the patient, who we call right. the caree. Um, exactly. So it's, interest, it's interesting. One of our panel panelists or presenters at the conference next week is going to give a presentation on a caregiver's voice, talking about how to insert your voice in a healthcare system. And one of the things that I find so interesting is a family caregiver touches the healthcare system all the time, but touches it almost as if we're outsiders, right? So we're the one that makes the phone call, but it's not about us, right? <laughs> we're the ones that ask questions of the healthcare system, but it's not about us. And if there was a way to integrate the family caregiver initially and immediately in the healthcare system, it could make a big difference. Like if you think about the emergency room, there's a family caregiver who's traumatized, stressed, and overwhelmed in an emergency room. What if while a caree was being taken care of, going for an MRI, there was a support staff strictly for family caregivers that interacted with the family caregiver right there in the emergency room? took them aside, brought them to a small office, gave them coffee, some snacks, and said, tell us what's going on. That way, they're not just touching the system, but they're actually being touched by the system in a way that's really helpful. Or am I dreaming? <laughs> what do you no. think? <laughs> it, it, Denise, what you're saying really resonates with me because I, I, I'm not sure if I'll say it, the most beautifully, I'm sure you could probably say it better, but you know, when I think of this, it's really um, engaging the family caregiver across the entirety of the care continuum at every single phase and step. Uh, and then it also just thinking of unique ways uh, that you know the the family caregiver voice kind of becomes ingrained, I, I, you know, in all policies or all things. So that mm -hmm. as we right. you know, as we think about those different intersection points, it's almost. Um, you know, can a movement like Embracing Cares or, you know, our voices coming together begin to map out, you know, what that, that journey or that continuum could look like and really where the family caregiver, you know, voice, perspective, and intersection is so critical. And one, one of the things that I love about what you're talking today about is creating solutions. So it's not necessarily only awareness. It's creating awareness and, okay, what are the solutions? And I love the idea of pilot programs. Let's just see what works. Let's try it. And I think from the, uh, from the perspective of trying to get buy-in from a system, certainly a pilot program is easier 
in terms of a bite to take because there's a beginning and an ending unless it's successful and then there's something that can continue. It doesn't have to take a lot of resources in order to try a pilot program and yet it can be incredibly beneficial. Yes, and I think it's so well said and the opportunity to, uh, like you you suggested, be successful with a pilot and then expand, disseminate, and encourage others to join in that movement. I think it's exactly what we're looking for uh, with this effort, both globally and locally, you know, in, in the U.S., for example. And, you know, we've, we've heard of uh, successful pilots in other markets like Australia or the U.K. where um, hopefully some of those learnings can be, you know, shared and leveraged and um, maybe for some of those that are skeptical that it may not work. Um, have some additional faith and confidence that it is possible. (laughs) Yeah. So the reason that I started tracking stress is because of an experience I had with my dad. So three Mm -hmm. years ago, his bladder cancer is spreading. And so we go to an oncologist who specializes in urology. And it's December, and you know what? For, you'll have to forgive my Midwestern twang because I never say this word right. So we go in December, and it's just after the Ebola. I'm not saying it right, but you know what I'm trying to say. Outbreak happens. And so as we're checking in, this the system requires that the nurse ask my dad if he has traveled out of the country. Now, my dad at the time was 82 and suffering from bladder cancer that was spreading, so he hadn't been out of the country. And it was clear that he hadn't. And I watched this interaction, and I thought, wow, that's, I get why they need to do it. I understand why they need to do it. So why don't they do it for the family caregiver who is stressed out? So if you're really thinking about an epidemic, it's family caregiver stress. Think about how many family caregivers are stressed out in our communities. So why isn't there a way to assess that? while a carry goes to the doctor, right? We're there. We're in the health system. Why not just assess them there? So as I started thinking about what could happen if we really started tracking family caregiver stress, I started thinking about L. Roker, who, when there's a flu epidemic, tells us where that flu epidemic is. And then I thought, you know, if we knew where there was an outbreak of family caregiver stress in a community, we could really mobilize and bring resources that to that community. We could have a caravan of doctors or nurses or supplies or respite workers that get in vans and go to the library of a local community where the family caregivers are completely stressed out and then give them what they need, a break, supplies, a checkup. I mean, I know that that costs a lot of money. (laughs) I know that that takes a lot of organization. But I think wouldn't that be something that would really be kind of fantastic where if a community somehow is affected in such a way that stress is an outbreak, let's say there's layoffs, let's say there is a flu outbreak, that certainly could add to family caregiver stress. Let's say that there's a loss of funding for a particular program that helps a lot of people. Wouldn't it be great to know that so that we could mobilize and really get in there and help? And something that I've found over the years is, you know, it's the idea of help helps. If you know that there's something that can help you, that helps you. And that when help leaves, hope stays. So let's say there's a caravan that goes into a community. They 
connect and share and provide resources for a couple days and then leave, but hope remains. So the family caregivers who are in that community still feel that support and comfort. You know, I, I, I think if we really think big and creatively about what's going on with family caregivers, I mean, we could really do amazing work. And I think what you're doing is so critical because what you're doing is getting those stakeholders together, right? That each can bring a resource, an idea, a possibility that creates something quite fantastic that touches people, which is really what you were talking about at the very beginning. You know, how do we impact lives in really great ways? That's it. Well, and your, your suggestion really, you know, frankly, Denise, hits home for me personally, just given my own um, care, caregiving journey myself. You know, my, my dad was a, a family caregiver for me as I, I battled with Lyme disease as a young man. Um, and, you know, five years later after that journey, um, that, that he shepherded me through. Um, I, I turned into the family caregiver for my mom who suffered and continues to suffer from multiple chronic conditions and mental health challenges. So it's the, the idea of having hope close to home uh, and really being activated in our local communities uh, and really Im- embedded in, the, in the, uh, the fabric of places that we go, you know, whether it's grocery stores or uh, outlet stores or whatever it may be, that you can know that that hope and help is close to home, um, you know, hits me as an extraordinary idea and something that uh, just knowing, you know, my life now is a long-distance care and caregiver for my mom and the support that my dad uh, provided to me as I was going through my own um, health challenges, you know, I, I think I would benefit greatly from it now in my own community, and I know that my my dad would have, you know, 25 years ago as he struggled with, um, you know, employment and as he struggled with stress and the strain that that put on the relationship between he and my mom. So, you know, a, a lot of what you're saying really hits home beyond, you know, the, the public health opportunity that I think we have to really do the right thing for family caregivers. Um, for me personally, I think it would make a, a ton of difference. You know, the what's so interesting about caregiving is that, you know, typically the the profile that's shared is that it's a woman in her late 40s. And what's important to know about caregiving is it can happen to anyone at any time. And it can happen in different ways within the same family. So you have different caregiving stories, which gives you a perspective about how family caregivers respond and react and what they need. And really, I think when it gets down to is that we need hope, right? So when you think about your dad as he was caring for you, his hope probably was that you would be cured. That's right. That's right, because he he looked at his 17-year-old son and and couldn't understand why I was in a, you know, semi-coma state uh, and was, you know, non-responsive, non-functional, and why I would need to be on, you know, nine different antibiotics over the course of 18 months to get back to, you know, being a, a, a teenager who is about to head off to college, right, <laughs> and have something like this, you know, hit you out of the blue um, and not have the hope, the help, or the support or resources kind of at hand that um, kind of give you the playbook on, on how to do this the right way as a family caregiver. So I, I think that's what's so – that what drives me so much personally for – 
this embracing carers movement, but also just the determination that I have to be there for my mom as a long distance carer is, um, you know, not wanting anyone else to face what my dad faced, which was kind of, you know, walking in the wilderness trying to identify resources to, to help his son. Yeah, that's, that's really what it gets down to. It can be such a lonely and isolating experience. And it's yeah. what you wouldn't wish on anyone. You would want someone to feel that support, to feel that hope. That's it. So how do, you ma- how do you manage it all? How do you manage your career? How do you manage caregiving? How do you keep everything on track? <laughs> That's a great question, Denise. I, I guess I'd have to ask my wife. <laughs> she probably has a unique view into uh, how Scott uh, survives the daily basis. But, you know, I, I think it, it all comes down to um, – probably family, love, and determination, to be honest, and um, feeling a sense of uh, gratitude for what my father uh, did for me to enable me to, to have uh, the life and the opportunity that I have now and just that um, opportunity to give back and be there and the support for uh, for my mom. And now having a, you know, a platform and a chance to bring organizations together from around the world with this global advocacy movement you know, it's, it's kind of a too too good to be true scenario for me, uh, because it, it's really uh, something that I never thought was possible. Is just, just finding areas of mutual interest from all different stakeholders around the world who maybe just didn't know how to connect to make a difference together. And uh, mm-hmm. I think that's just what's so powerful about this opportunity that that we have with this embracing carers effort. Yeah, I think I think you hit on something right there, which is how do we connect everyone so that we're all focused on working together. So in terms of talking about caregiving at work, I'm just curious, is it a conversation that comes up with you and your coworkers? Do you guys talk about personal caregiving experiences? You know, I have to tell you, I, for the longest time, Denise, I I don't think I was able to successfully articulate myself that I was a family caregiver. I I, have, I think all along I, I felt like it was something I I just did because I loved my family or because, you know, my dad loved me. That's what he did for me. So what's actually changed the game here from a workplace perspective is now that we have this initiative, um, the, the conversation and the tone has, has changed in the workplace. And uh, people have feel empowered to share their personal stories. And, you know, we have leaders in the workplace that are encouraging us to share and are coming forward and sharing their own stories that they've, they haven't shared before. And, you know, within the workplace, we now have an employee resource group that's dedicated to supporting caregivers in, in ways that I don't think we ever realized that we could before. Um, and, you know, we're, we're taking the time to assess what more we can do to support those employees um, who are caregivers. So, it's honestly started a, a groundswell as well as I think giving people permission and, and a platform and an opportunity uh, to really activate in ways that I, I don't think we realized there was so much pent up energy, you know, demand and interest to really w- want to do this. <laughs> oh, that's fascinating. Wow. You know, I think it is hard to talk about caregiving and there's, I think several reasons why. And, um, I think one of them it is it's an emotional experience, and the other one is a, it's a very personal experience that sometimes you don't feel comfortable talking about something so personal 
in a professional setting. And it's awesome that everybody has the green light now to do that, that you and your colleagues are able to figure out, okay, let's talk about it so that we can figure out how to support each other. That's amazing. And I hate to bring in just a real-time experience from an interaction that we just had over lunch, but we had a kind of a little bit of like a mini celebratory lunch together as a team in our office today. And I just learned today that one of my colleagues who I've been working alongside for two and a half years, as I was sharing my personal story, she shared with me that her and her brother were actually in a very similar relationship that I'm in with my mom now that – She's a long-distance carer for her brother, uh, and he's uh, dealing with the same chronic conditions and mental health issues that my mom was. And so we actually created a new connection, bond, and almost support network for each other. So um, it it really has been um, extraordinary in the way that it's created new connections and new opportunities to really discuss the needs of family caregivers within the workplace. Well, that was a fast 30 minutes. But I do not believe that is the only 30 minutes that we'll spend together. I'd love to keep in touch. I'd love for you to join us on a regular basis and tell us how things are going, where the initiative is heading, and how we can help. How does that sound? That, that sounds great, Denise. And I, I just can't thank you enough for, for all of your efforts in, in helping to spread the word and, and to really uh, raise awareness and, and the voice. And thank you for all your, your support and for having me on today. Oh, it was wonderful. It was great. And, Scott, for our listeners who'd like to visit and learn more about Embracing Carers, what's the website address? Anyone who's interested, if they go to embracingcarers.com, they can learn all about the initiative, and there's some great resources, data, and uh, white papers available for them. Okay, excellent. Thank you so much, Scott. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween to you, Denise. Take good care. And thanks, everybody, so much for listening. I'm Denise Brown. Be sure to stop by caregiving.com. Let us know how you're doing because we always love to know. Take care. Bye-bye.